Well, let me open us with a word of prayer, and then I will jump into our text in 1 Peter chapter 5. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Lakeside. As Pastor Steve was preaching this morning, Lord, the last year was chaotic, but through it all, Lord, I know for me and for many of us, we have a greater appreciation for what we have when we can gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us not take for granted the privilege we have, even just of a Sunday school class, where we can gather together and fellowship and share prayer requests and and open your word together. So, Lord, we thank you for what you've done for Lakeside, sustaining us through the turmoil. And I pray, Lord, that as we enter this new year, that you will grow us, that, that we will be able to do the things that were on Pastor Steve's heart that he laid out in the sermon, and Lord, that we would ultimately be holy as you were holy. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to spend the first Sunday of the new year with you, and as we are continuing towards the end of First Peter chapter 5, I introduced last week a couple of verses that are going to take now, I know after today, going to take a few weeks to go through because of the nature of the material, but we are in the new year, and just as I mentioned last week, 2020 didn't catch God by surprise. He was sovereign over every aspect of it. It's an encouragement that God is sovereign over 2021. We don't know what's coming our way. We know it will be unexpected because we're not God, so we don't have any way to prepare ourselves, but whatever it is, we can overcome the trials we face. I read it last week. I'll read it again. Romans 8.31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? That really should be all of our motto as we enter another year of uncertainty. It allows us to enter even this uncertain year with hope and expectation. God is there for us regardless of the trials. He will see us through. And... Peter was writing to individuals, as I've said over and over, who were going through hard times. They were suffering. Many of them had been persecuted for the faith. Injustice was a regular part of their lives. And as he got to the end of this letter, and he's given exhortations, at the end of verse 7, he says, or in verse 7, he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's telling them, he's telling us, as we covered when we taught this, that that God's care and concern for us is very personal. One of the things that I enjoy about sharing prayer requests is, number one, we can bear one another's burdens. We can hear what's going on in, in one another's lives. But if you think about it, every one of us has a reason from a secular perspective to be anxious. There's uncertainty. We have family members that are lost. We We have people going through illnesses. And yet we don't have to be anxious. We can cast that anxiety on the Lord and trust Him. And that's what Peter was doing. And so as we're preparing to face the challenges of 2021, that's how I phrase this as an outline, Peter in a couple of verses has just given us exhortations. And he's given us some warnings about our adversary that Pastor Steve alluded to today and that we're going to cover in greater detail. So last week, as we started going through these verses, I broke it down preparing to face the challenges of 2021. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. We covered the first point last week, introduced the second point, and then we're going to cover the second point in more detail today. So 
Here's the scripture. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The first point that I made last week that I'll cover briefly was expect to experience difficult trials. Expect to experience difficult trials. Peter, for not the first time, said be of sober spirit. And he also said be on the alert. Those are actually two commands lumped together. You can't do one without the other as as Peter intends it. But it has the idea of controlling our thoughts. Of controlling how we think. Of thinking properly of what's going on around us. Exercising self-control over our mind. The idea is even as we're casting our cares on the Lord, because He cares for us, we still need to be alert. We still need to be prepared to face the challenges that are coming our way because danger lurks everywhere. One of the challenges I think many of us faced in this past year was thinking correctly about everything that was going because it seemed like things were changing every day. It seemed like there was some new challenge, some new circumstance, and exercising self-control over our minds is a critical component for believers in processing what's happening. We need to always think biblically and analyze what's going on biblically, but we can't do that if we don't have a sober spirit. We don't assume anything anymore. 2021 begins the way 2020 ended. The world's still fallen. Sin still is rampant. People still reject Christ. And as we'll see as we dig further into point two, we have an enemy of God who's stalking God's children. And that was my second point. Don't overlook your real enemy. Don't overlook your real enemy. I started to cover this last week. As I started writing it out this week, I realized that even this week I won't get through everything And it poses a challenge for me. And I'll tell you why. Let's read what's here. The second part of verse 8. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So I want to go and remind you of what we started last week. But then as I dig a little bit deeper, we're going to see how pervasive this is. And this is part of why we're being sober spirited while we're being on the alert because we have to be aware of that roaring lion that's nipping at us. Apart from God, this would be a frightening picture. Your adversary, the devil. I can tell you as a kid, I I went to church all the time, but I didn't think theologically. So the devil scared me because I'd seen movies. And he always looks really scary in movies. And it terrified me. Why? Because the movies were scary. But we have to think biblically and take those things out of our minds. And Peter just uses some clear terminology. Your adversary referred to a courtroom opponent. Someone who was trying to beat you in a court of law. And the word devil was from the Hebrew translation of the word that becomes Satan. And it just means a slanderer, an accuser, someone who says things to God about us. He's constantly accusing us. He's seeking our harm. 
And as I alluded to just briefly at the end last week, he uses the imagery of a lion in the wild, sneaking through the grass, staying hidden, not wanting to spook the herd of zebra or wildebeest or whatever it is. And he's just looking, he's just looking, he's just looking to pounce. He and his demons are constantly on the prowl because understand, their judgment is already assured. They're defeated, they know it, they just want to take people down with them. They're of a mind, it doesn't matter that the boat sinks, we just want to make sure you don't get off the boat so you go with us. So as I get into this, I want to be cautious because there's a sense in which I'm going to teach a fair amount about angels and demons. And I've taught years ago on demons a little bit when I went through Hebrews chapter 1 many years ago. But I don't want anybody to be an expert on Satan. If you have time to spend, spend it studying about Jesus. Don't become an expert on Satan. I remember in seminary, I... I picked my theology papers based on either what was going on in my life or what I wanted to deal with. And because of an issue we were dealing with with a family friend in California, I did a paper on demons. And it had, I won't even get into the topic, but I did not enjoy it. Now, I did fine. I got a good grade. But I don't want to be an expert on those things. I want to know Jesus. But... There is a point where when the Bible warns us to be on the alert, we have to have enough knowledge to be on the alert against our true adversary. So first, we always need to remember that Satan, which isn't really his name, it's just what we call him because the use of that term slanderer is appropriate. He and his demons are active. They don't sleep. They're supernatural beings they're really fallen angels, so they never get tired. They never stop. It's interesting, if you read, and, and for different reasons, I've read Job many times in my life. It can be a very encouraging book, but you actually see something of how Satan works when you read the book of Job. And Satan has been prowling for thousands of years since man was created. We read in Genesis chapter 3 that he was in the garden with Adam and Eve, tempting Eve. He hasn't stopped. In Job chapter 1, I'll read some parts of Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God, and that in the context is talking about angels, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, in verse 7, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. That, that's exactly what Peter is talking about. Satan is looking for trouble. There's a sense, because he's supernatural and he doesn't exist in time in the same way that we do, he's patient, he's methodical, and it's relentless. And he has one end game, destruction, seeking someone to devour. I think I, I can't remember how far actually I got my notes last week, but that word is basically swallowing something whole, gulping something down. It was used of Jonah being swallowed by the fish. In other words, Satan wants to completely consume and destroy us. And here's the challenge for us. The Bible tells us, 
we walk by faith, not by sight, but we understand that's easier said than done because we see. I, I, I can touch this. I can see each one of you. But it's not always that way with Satan. So I'm going to highlight a few things. But the problem for us in our day and age is that Satan largely operates in ways that we can't see. So we're being told, be on the alert. Our adversary, the devil, is prowling around and yet we can look all day and we might not see something that looks like a Hollywood pitchfork and tails that would stand out to us. We have to always remember that even though we principally interact with the world based on our five senses, the reality is there's an unseen world that exists alongside us that's just as real. We just can't see it and touch it. So as we look at a few things about our adversary, first we always want to remember he's a created being. He's not eternal. He's not God. I remember, I think it, this is the correct book, when I was first saved, I was already a lawyer and I was trying to process everything. And I had such a deficient view of Satan. And I remember it came, I think it was a book by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. If it wasn't this book, it was a different book by C.S. Lewis. But it had to do with this idea, do you believe in the devil? And it, I think it was an introductory part of a book. And he basically said, if by the devil you mean a power equal and opposite to God, no, I don't believe in that. That's what I was always taught. God's on one side, devil's on the other, they're fighting it out, let's see who wins. That's not true, that's not reality. There's God and there's nothing else with God. Now, amongst us created beings, there's a lot of angels, and Satan is one of them. And Revelation 12, 7, 9 says this. It says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. That's just another word for the devil, our adversary. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place for them found in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And, and that really is a great description of what happened is they were thrown away. We know from other scriptures, Romans 12, excuse me, Revelation 12, 4, it seems to suggest that a third of the angels fell. But the reality is Satan and his demons are just created beings. They're not God. They don't have the power of God. They don't have the authority of God. They're, they're powerful. We're told to be on the alert because he's trying to devour us. But we do have to realize they're part of the unseen world. The, the spiritual warfare passages of Ephesians 6 really crystallize, I think, exactly what Peter's talking about. Ephesians 6, I'll just read verses 11 and 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. You can almost hear, that's, this is Paul's way of saying this is what being on the alert looks like. That's what spiritual warfare is, is being on the alert so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So that really 
crystallizes the challenge for us because all of these demons and myriads of myriads of ten thousands upon ten thousands and their leaders, Satan himself, the devil, they lost. But they're mad about it, so they're going to take everybody they can with them. Satan and his army are constantly on the march and yet, again, we generally can't see them. Jesus summarized a lot about Satan, of what his primary tasks are, and it fits with what Peter's saying, but in John eight forty four, Jesus, in speaking to others, said, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan is a murderer. He's seeking someone to devour. He's prowling around, roaming about the entire earth. He has a legion of demons with him. And he's the best liar we've ever known. He's the father of lies. Here's, I've said this before and I can never fully articulate it. But some years ago, this thought crystallized in my mind and it's always given me pause when I'm thinking to myself, be sober-minded, be on the alert. It's this. And I've got to connect this thought and I hope I can do it because it's not my notes and this is one of those times where I'm going to try and connect the dots. I can't wait to stand in the presence of God. I can't wait to be done here. None of this stuff appeals to me. I want to be with the Lord. And as I think about what heaven would be like, I can't imagine it. Could you imagine us being, we don't have to, we're there. We're worshiping in a different way. However good Lakeside is, it's not going to be like heaven. We'll be worshiping the Lord together in His glory, in His presence. And I'm convinced that none of us will have any regrets. There's never going to be a time where any of us in the presence of God goes, well, I don't know, this wasn't all it's cracked up to be. Oh, man, that's it? We're going to be overwhelmed. It's going to be incredible. Here's what I think about, though, with Satan. He was in the presence of God and he was such a good deceiver he convinced holy angels at the time in the presence of God to turn away from God's glory I can't comprehend that it my brain snaps compared to that we're easy targets We're, we're living in the mud of this world and sin and everything else And if he's such a good deceiver that at that time holy angels, angels that had not yet sinned, could be persuaded to turn away from the glory of God, our adversary, the devil, is serious. He's dangerous. And for God's own purposes, once the world fell, God allows Satan to have a large degree of influence over this world. And when I mean over this world, I mean the world systems, the governments, the education. Is God sovereign? Of course He is. Does God raise up leaders and take them down? Of course He does. But the Bible also says that God allows Satan to have a powerful impact on this world. 
Jesus three different times acknowledged something like this. In John 12, 31, Jesus said, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about Satan. John 14, 30, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. John 16, 11, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. It's, again, because of God, and because of what I'll say in our next point, we don't have to fear, or quake, or shiver in terror in front of Satan, but we have to respect his influence and we have to recognize his influence in the world around us. So let me encourage you, as you reflect on the challenges coming our way, remember where the challenges are really coming from. The greatest enemy we face is not another political party or a president or Hollywood or a society that increasingly calls evil good and calls good evil All those things are symptoms of the one who's pulling the puppet strings. And it's Satan. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and yet we spend all our time fighting flesh and blood because we see, and that drives us. Again, I'm not suggesting that we don't interact with all of those fears because they're real and God has put us here, but what I'm saying is we can't lose sight of where the real enemy lies. In fact, as we see political adversaries and those we feel like are chipping away at our country and destroying us, what we really should feel for them is pity. And we should pray for them that they would come to faith in Christ because they've already been devoured. So Satan and his demons have a great deal of influence. They influence the world around us. All of the lies that are being perpetrated by society, by popular culture, even by our education system, Satan's behind him. And here's the challenge for Satan and his demons. Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Amen to that. If we know Christ, he can't cost us our salvation. But he would love to destroy your assurance. He would love to compromise your testimony. He would love to invalidate your witness for Christ. And here's the challenge. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not God. But if you can imagine, and I'll use an illustration because I've been rereading and studying some things, Satan has the greatest spy network that anybody's ever known. Because the demons are watching. And they're cataloging. I cringe at what would be in Satan's observational book after 54 years of walking on this earth. Because I know the struggle of my sin. And while Satan can't see into my heart, I've done enough outward things for him to have a notebook. In fact, I think that's one of the things when the Bible talks about him being accuser of the brethren day and night is he's just getting new reports. Oh, there he goes again. Got it right here, God. Now what we know, stepping back, is that for every one of those, Christ says, I've got it. I paid for it. I took care of it. It's gone. 
But in terms of what Peter's telling us to be on the alert, we can't pretend as though Satan and his demons don't exist. They're the real threat. We need to be prepared. And again, the challenge for us is that Satan is not the reflection of popular culture that Hollywood has made him out to be. He doesn't come at us, as I said before, with pitchforks and horns and red clothes and he's on fire. In fact, I think one of the ways that Satan is doing his greatest work is he's attacking the church. And he's destroying the church from the inside out. One of the primary ways is by getting people to disbelieve. What do I mean by that? Just convince them the Bible's not really true. Satan knows the Word of God. He knows the power of the Word of God. Again, this is the arrogance of this entity known as Satan, the devil. He was quoting the Word of God to the Word of God. Distorting it and trying to get Jesus to sin. That's arrogance. That is unbelievable. But Paul says something, I think, that's it's illustrative, but it's a sample. There are many other places in Scripture, but I chose this one because this is talking about within the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of light. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. In other words, if you saw those working on behalf of Satan, you might not recognize them as those working on behalf of Satan because they say they're working on behalf of Jesus. Satan is hiding in plain sight. Again, I think if you encountered Satan, if we have encountered Satan or his demons... I don't think in this day and age he would look like a monster. Rather, as a master deceiver, he'd probably be the best looking guy in the room. And the most articulate. And the most seemingly compassionate. And friendly and helpful. That kind of disguise isn't a Halloween thing for Satan and his demon. This is how they exist. Again, I, I was influenced by a lot of... C.S. Lewis doesn't have good theology on all points. So don't misunderstand. But the book Mere Christianity had a big impact on me as a new believer because I was struggling with what I perceived to be my academic knowledge and what I perceived to be the challenge of believing the scriptures that clashed with all of that academic knowledge. C.S. Lewis, his thinking at least, stimulated my mind in a way that the Lord used to help me address some of those challenges because I wasn't nearly as smart as I thought I was, but my perception of my intelligence was hampering my ability to believe what the Bible said. And there was a book that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Screwtape Letters. How many of you have ever read The Screwtape Letters? Okay, a few of you have. And even he would tell you it was an oppressive book to write. But basically he was pretending the dialogue is of 
demonic forces talking about interacting with the world and an older demon is counseling a younger demon on how to do things. But one of the things that was interesting, and I was just talking about this the other day with a couple of people. So there's a part in the book where he talked about how they adjust their deception to the culture in which we live. And he said, so in this day and age of science, paraphrasing, I'm not quoting, in this day and age of science, we deceive people by pretending like we don't exist. We don't want people to believe in our existence, and in a scientific world, that's easy. In other words, we're able to hide because nobody believes in the supernatural anyway, so it works out for them. So, we've got this army of deceptive manipulators hiding amongst us, seeking to devour us. We just have to be on the alert. In a moment, the defense of Satan is, is relatively easy, but, but another thing that I want to clarify... Because over my many years of being a believer, I've seen a lot of Christians that were more scared of Satan than they should be. I've seen more Christians that ignored Satan, and that's dangerous, be, be on the alert. But I've seen a lot of Christians that were needlessly scared. And we'll say this, Satan can't do anything outside of God's purview. God is always sovereign, not Satan. Again, reading from Job chapter 1, we see this very clearly. And I'm going to read this passage, but what is what I want you to recognize is that Satan could observe, he could comment, but he couldn't go any farther than God said, go. Verse 8, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? By the way, that thank you Lord, that's the bullseye. <laughs> and yet God knows what he's doing. But remember that, Satan was pointed towards Job by God. For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12 is the, the point. But God said this, Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. My point, although I'm going to talk more about that, is this. If Satan has an impact on your life, understand God's put boundaries on that. We still need to be on the alert. We still need to be careful. We still need to protect ourselves. We need to do what the scripture says, but... We never have to fear that God's going to turn his back and then Satan's going to grab hold of us. God's sovereign, not Satan. Even the challenges we face don't go beyond that. But what Satan was able to do is frightening. Again, following along, verse 13 to 15 of Job chapter 1. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped you. That's a huge loss. Right there. All the oxen, the donkeys, all the servants were killed. That's an economic setback. 
And it shows us a little bit that Satan can work through human beings. We know from the New Testament there's such a thing as demon possession where a demon enters a human being, can't enter a believer's body, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, a believer is protected to some extent. But Satan influences humans to do his bidding. And in this case, it was the Sabians. I won't read it, but John 13, too, he did that with Judas right before the betrayal. Satan went into his heart. He put the idea there. Same thing happened with the Chaldeans, according to Job, verse 17. While he was still speaking, another also came. The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I have alone to escape to tell you. So he lost the oxen, the donkeys. He lost the camels. A whole bunch of servants, verse 16, going backwards. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I have alone to escape you. Seems that Satan, even though he called it a fire of God, Satan had some ability to manipulate the material elements. And when God permits, Satan can touch a physical body. Further on, I won't read it for time's sake, but in chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, Satan touched the body, and Job had sores, boils on his body, head to toe. Here's the whole point. Our adversary, the devil, is powerful. He can do a lot of things, but he's handcuffed by the Lord. But what we have to realize is that all of what's going on around us in society, a lot of it is driven by Satan. A lot of misery and destruction of the world is called by Satan and his demons working behind the scenes, influencing individuals for evil, You look at the destruction of somebody like an Adolf Hitler where he tried to wipe out all Jews on the earth. You know Satan's behind that. I think in our day and age there's an epidemic of suicide. You see all this talk about suicide. Some of that is satanic, if not all of it. Again, I'm running out of time, but if you go and read Mark chapter 9, verses 20 to 26, it's a, it's a father coming to Jesus with a boy that was possessed by a demon. And the demon had thrown him into the fire, which we would call suicide. He tried to burn himself to death. Had thrown him in the water, drowning. Oh, he's trying to drown him. I, I remember in high school, a kid in my high school drowned himself. Suicide. A lot of those things that are going on are satanic. And next week, as we're running out of time today, I'll cover a little bit more. And then I'll look forward to moving past knowing our adversary and getting into how do we defeat our adversary. Stated a different way, how do we protect ourselves against the adversary? God's already defeated our adversary, not us. I will say this, though. Be careful. One of the things that Job did for me was it helped me to question some of my knee-jerk reactions to people who were suffering misfortune. Have you ever looked at someone, this is rhetorical, have you ever looked at someone and you see their life collapsed and you think, boy, how irresponsible they are. If they just worked harder, I can't believe them. 
And certainly there are cases where people have destroyed their own lives through laziness or irresponsibility. But let me suggest to you that a believer can lose everything without being irresponsible. A believer can have everything taken away from them. Their family, remember Job's children were all killed by Satan. Their wealth, their possessions, their reputations, their good standing. Remember, it was God who said, there's not anybody like Job. And he lost it all. And what was the reaction even of his close friends? Well, what would you do to deserve this? We need to be careful sometimes, particularly if the Lord has given us a measure of success, if the Lord's prospered us, to not look down on people who are doing poorly and just assume it's because they're not like we are. Because sometimes people that are walking with the Lord still have calamity destroy their stuff. Job didn't do anything wrong and he lost everything. Now, of course, the Lord restored it. But we need to be careful and not quite as judgmental as we can be. Remember, not all destructions caused by personal sin and foolishness, although a lot is. And we can't blame everything on Satan. Some of it's our own sin. But just as Satan demanded permission to sift Simon Peter like wheat, he wants to sift us like wheat as well. So, I will stop for now. I'm looking forward to being done with this because I don't want to focus on this, but when the Bible says be on the alert, we have to be on the alert. So, let me close this in prayer and then our time will be done. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, I want each one of us, including me, to be on the alert so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Lord, we don't want to be experts on Satan. We want to be experts on Jesus. We thank you that you've saved us. We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you, Lord, that if you're for us, who can be against us? And yet we live in a fallen, wicked world. And because of our own weakness, at times our own inattentiveness, Satan and his demons can pounce on us. Lord, help each of us be sober-minded. Help us have sober spirits. Lord, help us be on the alert. Not fearful, not terrified, but on the alert. So that when our adversary is prowling around, we see him... And we can defend ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your spirit to indwell us, to protect us, to seal us. And we pray that as we apply these truths to our lives, that you'll give us discernment to see what's going on around us and help us to stand firm. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.